Dear listener, this is Interfaith Ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, one of the more taboo topics in interfaith spaces is the issue of abortion. But with the looming possibility that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade later this year, the topic's at the forefront of many people's minds, and certainly I'm one of them. So this week, I've invited two leading reproductive rights advocates to join me in discussing what their religious traditions say about abortion and how they are working within their communities. Jamie Manson is president of Catholics for Choice, a group that's been making the news lately because of their very visible protest at the annual March for Life. And Shira Zemmel is 73 Forward campaign co-director at the National Council of Jewish Women. Here's my conversation with Jamie and Shira. Very happy to have the both of you um, on Interfaith-ish this week. Um, before we get started, I did want to clarify a couple of points about about the show that I, I think are um, uh, relevant to, and, and important to acknowledge. So the first is that one might expect that on an interfaith dialogue show that brings together folks from different backgrounds, um, we'd also perhaps present two differing sides on the abortion debate. Um, but obviously, this is an incredibly sensitive issue. And frankly, I haven't encountered um, uh, really constructive ways to sometimes pit folks from opposite sides of the issue against each other. It's one of the things I'd, I'd love to hear about with you all, how do you engage in those type of conversations. Um, but it seems like there has to already be a lot of trust in the room to have a civil conversation um, without it devolving into what we see in a lot of um, media presentations. Um, and certainly this space is not intended to be an out-and-out debate, um, maybe, you know, we'll, in the future, we'll be able to, to bring on some folks that, that have that level of, of amity and, and trust together. But um, I really wanted to own that as important as this topic is, it, it is really supremely challenging um, to, to also, you know, honestly have an open learning discussion, I think, when folks are so entrenched in their own, you know, sides of things. So, um, Anyway, I wanted to I wanted to just start by that and acknowledge for our listeners, you know, who might say, you know, why have two pro-choice guests on the show? And sometimes I feel it's it's helpful to hear opposing views, but um, we do get, I think, a lot of the anti what the anti-abortion platform is saying in in a lot of media, and I'm really interested in exploring with my guests today what it means to actually advocate for reproductive rights. Um, even amidst a mainstream that might not always be with you um, or be actively working against you. So with that, I want to welcome uh, Jamie Manson, um, president of Catholics for Choice, and Shira Zemmel of uh, 73 Forward, campaign uh, co-director at the National Council of Jewish Women. Um, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, thank you Jack. Uh, Jamie, so last week was the March for Life, the annual rally against the practice and legality of abortion, which is held around the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. 
And a big engine for the, the march is uh, Catholic University of America, which is located in the Brooklyn neighborhood in D.C., where I lived uh, until very recently um, for, for about 10 years before moving to the People's Republic of Tacoma Park. Um, and every year I'd see the buses lining up at the Basilica during the weekend of the rally. And I'll say that, frankly, it offended me not just on an ideological level, but also as someone who needed to park in the neighborhood, too. <laughs> Um, so anyway, your, your organization Catholics for Choice chose to do a, a pretty incredible protest uh, outside the Catholic Basilica, which I believe is the largest church in America, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. In the United States. Largest Catholic yeah. church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you, can you describe that action? Sure. Um, what we did was uh, the, the evening before the March for Life, which was last Friday, so we did this on Thursday evening, Um, we projected, um, several messages, or I would like to say facts, um, Mm. about abortion and Catholics, um, on the facade of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. When we planned this, we actually didn't know there was going to be an, uh, an, an all night vigil happening. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we, we found that out just a few days before. And so Mm. we said, okay, we're going to have an audience. Um, and so, um, I should say so. (laughs) Yes. And there were many, many coach buses outside of the Basilica. And so, Mm. you know, I think our messages were, were reasonable. Um, I don't think they were offensive. Uh, we were really careful about what we wanted to say because we knew it was bold enough to project on the Basilica. And essentially, can you can you clarify what what it was that you were saying? Absolutely. What the messages so what, were? Yeah. So um, several messages. Uh, one was that the fact that one in four um, abortion patients in this country is Catholic. Mm. So Catholic. So abortion is a huge part of the life of the Catholic Church. Mm. Um, the other is we were asking, therefore, for this group to stop stigmatizing them and to start listening to them. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, we put, we put the phrase pro-choice and then we said, um, pro-choice Catholics, uh, you are not alone because the majority, the vast majority, the landslide majority of Catholics in this country, 68% do not believe Roe versus Wade needs, should be struck down. Mm. And we have this March for Life claiming to speak for all Catholics, um, that they want to see Roe versus Wade, um struck down. And so we were trying to take back the narrative and infuse reality uh, into this moment. And so what do you feel an action like that accomplished for for you all? I mean, it's obviously it's a very dramatic thing. People can go online and see the video. You know, this is a huge building, a huge facade. I'm as, as somebody who's involved with with audiovisual work. I'm actually technically very interested to know how, <laughs> how you were able to accomplish that. Um, but, you know, it's it is the multiple stories tall lettering, you know, as if somebody draped a banner over the entire church. Um, So, so what do you, what do you feel an action like that accomplished? We wanted to do a few things. Um, We wanted to counter program to the March for Life because Mm -hmm. this was the most urgent moment to do it because the March for Life was claiming this would be the last March for Life and this would be the last row anniversary. And it was a great victory march for them. And so this- The last one because they believe that Rover's way is going to be struck down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. And so this was the moment for us to speak. And we had to speak as Catholics. It had to be voices from inside the church speaking the language of faith. 
And mm. so, you know, we wanted to remind them that they did not speak for us, that the numbers were on our side and to let them know that if one in four abortion patients is, is Catholic, that means it's the woman in the pew next to you. It's the woman giving out mm. the Eucharist. It's the woman uh, sewing the vestments of the Cardinal. Like this is part of your, the fabric of the life of the church and you're calling these people murderers and it's not acceptable. And we wanted pro-choice Catholics to, to, to believe the truth, which is that they are not alone and that we are the majority. Um, mm. So we wanted to accomplish that. And we just I just wanted to get Catholics talking about abortion because the stigma and taboo around it and the silence is what has gotten us to this moment. Yeah. Sure. Bringing you into the conversation, um, you also have an action coming up. It's called Repro Shabbat. Um, so I wanted to hear from you how you're using the Jewish Day of Rest uh, to prepare collaborators uh, to be advocates for reproductive justice. Yes, I'm so excited. Repro Shabbat has already begun. Um, NCW sections all over the country this week um, have been leading up and yeah, Jewish folks all over. Um, we're really, there's, we're co-sponsoring with 31 national organizations that represent every denomination in Jewish life and Jewish organizations that um, represent like the broad diversity of the Jewish community and partners like Catholics for Choice and Planned Parenthood. So it's really exciting. Um, Repro Shabbat is in its second year over the Torah portion Parshat the Torah portion Parshat Mishpatim, where we find the verses in the book of Exodus that undergird um, Judaism's stance on abortion and then later rabbinic teachings that expand upon it. So mm -hmm. every year, Repro Shabbat will happen the week of um, our reading of these verses from the Torah. And this year... It oh, so you're tying it to Mishpatim, to that Mishpatim, section of yes, the Torah. Right. Mm -hmm. And this year it happened to fall, you know, it's the Shabbat following the anniversary of Roe. So it's really... Timely. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, and it is incredible to see, you know, as of this morning, I just looked, 900 communities and individuals have signed up to mark Repro Shabbat. We have provided um, a whole suite of toolkits and resources to, commu to communities, congregations, um, our sections to bring into their own communities and for their own context. So there's text studies and sermon starters for our clergy and um, and conversation starters to get people talking about reproductive health rights and justice and sharing their own stories. And yeah, it's been wonderful to see the creative and thoughtful way folks are marking this Repro Shabbat. So we heard a little bit about from Jamie, obviously there's this, there's this huge uh, clash and debate and conversation that's happening in the in the Catholic community um, around the issue of abortion. Uh, Jews famously agree on all opinions, large and small. Um, <laughs> but I'm really curious about how 73 Forward um, and the NCW uh, NCJW um, bridge this wide array of political perspectives um, and institutional perspectives in the American Jewish community. Um, who likely disagree on on other types of politics and religious practices um, to to help bring them together on this issue of abortion? You know, like you said, there's like people say like three Jews, like ten opinions, or whatever that saying is. So uh -huh. you know, Paul, the Jewish community, like every community, a wide array of 
political opinions and policy thoughts and leanings and all of that. You know, with um, abortion access, we the, the, the texts are there. Our tradition is clear that in Judaism, abortion is permitted and sometimes even required um, mm. to protect the health of the pregnant person. And health in Judaism is also um, widely understood as both um, you know, physical health and mental health. And, um, and so I could say more about that later, but so, you know, we find there is, there is rabbinic, you know, even, you know, Orthodox male rabbis speaking about this issue, um, for hundreds of years. And so this, you know, of course in the Jewish community is, is clear and there are people perhaps who aren't with us but i think that this was a real opportunity when we see what's happening in this country to really put a stake in the ground and say like we're gonna lift this up and we're gonna be able to reach back to our ancient tradition and say like our tradition has been with us on this and we're gonna lift that up. we need to lift that up more into the public square can you talk a little bit about some of those um uh justifications, uh, the cases that you're talking about that allow for there to be a space that where, where maybe a, the, the, the medical case for abortion and everything isn't necessarily as, uh, uh, hard of an issue to wrestle with. Yeah. So the fundamental text that underlying underlies Judaism's um, understanding of abortion is in Exodus, like I mentioned, which describes a case in which someone inadvertently causes a miscarriage. And so the Torah specifies that the guilty party would be um, liable for manslaughter only if the pregnant person themselves dies. Otherwise, they must Hmm. simply pay monetary damages um, as the fetus is not regarded as a person. So we find that in the Torah. And then, you know, but more than that, the tradition is clear that abortion is required when the life of the pregnant person is at risk and through the duration of their pregnancy, there's um, Talmudic texts that say until the head emerges um, in the Hmm. birthing process. Um, And that so there's like a lot of texts and I am not a rabbi or a Talmudist, but I'm studying them more and more. Um, and so, you know, there's, yeah, so we can find this in our, we find this in our tradition and this is expanded upon and reinforced time after time. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it's inter- it's interesting that, you know, this, this is a shared text, right? Catholics uh, presumably would be looking at this, at this shared text, the book of Exodus. Um, Jamie, you know, thinking about this conversation, thinking about narrative, um, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, part of the difficulty of having this conversation around abortion is that the rhetoric for it, particularly coming from from conservative uh, Christian groups, or I should just say from Christian groups, is it's so visceral and frankly gory, you know, in the way that it's it's presented. Um, so I'm curious for you, especially as somebody who was a longtime columnist, columnist for the National Catholic Reporter, you know, what lessons have you learned about presenting the narrative around abortion, around um, uh, pro-choice and, and frankly, reproductive health uh, more generally uh, to win support from other Catholics? 
Well, I, I love that you started out this question initially uh, with Shira making a joke about Jews arguing. And um, <laughs> this is one of the things I absolutely love about the Jewish tradition is that you're allowed to argue. Mm. Uh, and this is not true in Catholicism. Uh, you know, there is one voice, uh, there is one teaching, and you cannot question it. And so, you know, we were, some of the criticism we got from more moderate Catholics about our projection was, well, how did, why did you have to do it that way? And what I, what, I, what I said to them is, what are the inroads for this conversation inside the Catholic Church? Where mm -hmm. is that place? Because you can't talk about it in your parish. You can't talk about it at a Catholic university. You can't really talk about it even in my former newspaper, the National Catholic Reporter. Where, where are the places? We had no choice but to project our messages on the outside of the walls of the church because that is the only place we can have that conversation. Mm. And so it is very, very tricky, you know, because and, and, and abortion in particular is an issue that is so taboo that even progressive Catholics who take some really significant risks for justice, for social justice issues, right. are silent about this. Mm. Who, and, are, who are speaking out, for example, for the environment against uh, nuclear arms, that sort of thing, immigration. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are people that chain themselves to nuclear, you know, submarines. <laughs> <laughs> right. For real. You know, throw their blood on a reactor, a nuclear reactor. And then abortion, ooh, nope, can't talk about that. You know, it is the mm. it is truly the third rail issue. Uh in, in in a way, and I say this as a lesbian Catholic who came out in 2008 in a very different church, in a very different society around LGBTQ mm. issues. And I've seen so much progress I never thought I would see, you know, um 14 years later. But this on issue, the LGBT no. exactly issues. on the LGBTQ uh -huh. issues, but this issue no, um, and so it's it's this is this is our big challenge is how do we get this conversation going in Catholic circles? Well, I think I you know I come back to this idea of what you just said of the not having a space for questioning, you right. know, and when I looked at the responses to your action. I saw um, from Bishop uh, Burbridge of Arlington, he called Catholics for Choice's action at the Basilica uh, evil. The Archbishop of San Francisco called it diabolical and a desecration. Cardinal Gregory um, compared participants to Judas and said that they were external to the church. Yeah. So I... I'm not a Catholic. I don't know what it's like to be in, in the position that, that you're in. So I, I, I wanted to ask, how does it feel to be regarded the, um, the way that you, you are by your, by your own church leadership? Yeah, luckily, I have no fear of the hierarchy. And I think that in this case, I've really seen how remarkable that is, because I, I've had people who are pro-choice Catholics say, oh, don't worry, you know, don't be afraid of them. And I'm like, I'm not afraid of them. <laughs> You know, mm. I mean, again, I came out as a lesbian in 2008 in the National Catholic Reporter in my first column. So I'm really not. Um, it's the silence of Catholics who I know think otherwise that frightens me. Mm -hmm. That's what scares me. That That's what makes me feel abandoned. That's what makes me feel some despair is the silence of people who I know support us but are very afraid to speak out. And, and in this moment, we need their voices more than ever. Uh, mm. Because things are dire, you know, in, in the reproductive rights movement, uh, you know, so how, how did you how did you feel? I'm, I'm curious about I saw signs at the march that said since just coming back to the 
LGBTQ um, question. Yeah. I saw signs that said uh, LGBT rights begin in the womb and hashtag equality begins in the womb. Yeah. How did those hit you as, as somebody who works in both these spaces? Yeah, I mean, there it, it strikes me how brilliant they are at co-opting messages uh, on the right. You know, they, I think what was the, the theme of the march was women's equality begins in the womb or something like mm. that. You know, and and it, it makes me very angry because you know the fact is that the anti-choice movement's roots are white supremacist, anti-feminist, and very anti-LGBTQ, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 they're co-opting our messaging. You know, when when ultimately the whole you know uh, the whole point, you know, the, the row striking down row is just the beginning for this movement. There is a very clear clear um, trajectory of wanting to strike down Obergefell, same-sex marriage, you know, um, Lawrence, which is the anti-sodomy law. They want to strike down Griswold, which is the contraceptive, uh, the, the, the ruling that allowed, made contraception legal. So I, I think it's- You see this uh, as a, a step in like a, in a multi-step program. Absolutely, because they know, and, and Sonia Sotomayor said this very clearly on December 1st in the Dobbs hearings, that none of these rights are protected under the constitution. So if Roe is vulnerable, all of these rulings are vulnerable and they know mm. that this is like, this is a long game, right. you know, for, 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 for a Christian nationalist movement that has been so terrifyingly emboldened in this moment. Mm-hmm. Sure. As we talked about the, the same cultural debate isn't exactly playing out in the same way in, in the Jewish community, but I wanted to hear from you. What, what do you encounter as challenges when it comes to um, uh, empowering folks for reproductive rights and and being advocates themselves in the Jewish community? A few things. So, well, I want to actually start with the March for Life. I, you know, before I was at NCJW, I um, was running our youth leadership conferences at the Religious Action Center of Reformed Judaism, which annually Mm -hmm. brings thousands of young teenage high school Reformed Jewish students to D.C., to learn about Jewish values and public policy and then lobby their members of Congress on an issue that they learn about over the weekend. And the, and the interesting, you know, the hotel we were always at in Northern Virginia, we also held a conf- hold that conference every year, the same weekend as March for life. And so every year um, we w- for the Syracuse diocese also had a teen group there the same weekend of the March for life. And that was really eye-opening to me to see a lot of what Jamie just spoke about, to just see. Yeah, that's an interesting mashup. Yeah, to see this long game of, you know, I'm bringing teens here to, Mm. you know, speak truth to power and bring a voice of social justice to, to the halls of Congress. And, you know, this is kind of the same playbook, right? They're bringing hundreds of teens, but um, I, you know, over the couple of years of doing this kind of spoke to some of the chaperones was kind of like eavesdropping on what the teens are talking about. And, um, it's like a field trip. It's like a way to go have fun. And like, it, it didn't really feel all the time that a lot of the teens who were there for March for life were, you know, there some, I think probably for the issue, but some, cause it's like a way to just the same way my teens are there, like a way to go have fun with friends over the weekend. And so, yeah, I, it's just, yeah, the dichotomy, though, was interesting because, I don't know, there's a lot more to say on that. But, yeah, I think I saw this, like, long game of we're going to bring buses and buses 
because they know exactly what Jamie just said that, you know, if we show up and we have young people showing up and that the ma- it makes it seem like there's this mass public opinion um, or one faith narrative around this. And it's just not true. Um, in terms of the Jewish question that you ask, I think the challenge is that <clears throat> it feels like for many of these antis, they're so single issue. This is I think they they absolutely care about all the other things that Jamie just mentioned, you know, they're against a lot of things, but it seems like abortions like the front and center single issue were, that they show up for. The Jewish community shows up all the time on every issue, mm. voting rights, climate, we're there, we're out there and it's and it's hard to be out there and showing up on everything. And so I think the challenge with abortion access is keeping it front and center, making sure that, you know, the Jewish community doesn't take it for granted. Our rights are at stake. And for many folks, you know, if Rose overturned this summer, it's not, you know, I'm not most impacted, but we have to keep, we have to hold front and center the people who are most impacted, who are going to lose access. Um, Yeah. If they're not, if, you know, if their state were then to, yeah. What What do you feel about this um, this point that Jamie was talking about around um, uh, the narrative and the and and the terminology that's used there? You know, I saw a lot in a lot of the articles terms like pro-abortion. You know, pro-abortion versus pro-life. You know, I'm so. I'm a, a a member of the Baha'i community. That's that's my um, faith tradition tradition and practice. And I remember one time, early on into when I when I um, joined the Baha'i community, um, somebody asked, "Well, what is what is the Baha'i perspective on abortion?" And you know, I said, "Well, I I can't imagine that there's any tradition that." That doesn't uphold the sanctity of life, right? There isn't necessarily a tradition that that um, I would say is encouraging people to go out and 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 not have babies. People want people to have the con- continuity of of life and so forth. But the important part is, I think this this idea of it being like you're talking about this single issue. It's like such a driving force behind what the this blend of. Um, religious teaching and and politics, um, particularly here in the United States. And so, for me, you know, as I as as I've been thinking about it, particularly in this in this season right now, where it's so at the forefront of a lot of conversation, even using the term pro life, and I'm sure I'm I'm coming to this very late, but like not drinking the Kool Aid on that because because pro life repeating that phrase is 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 playing into that right right for sure so So, where where does that fall for for you in the way that you discuss this and and are 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 thinking about the again narrative and terms yeah language is everything and um language is how you know we see the world so um and that's a lot of the work of 73 ford is helping bring the jewish community um you know, thinking about like, how do we talk about this in the year 2022? Um, So we use the language of anti-choice. We use the language of um, pro-access, access to, yeah, abortion access, you know, choice for sure. And for a lot of people, the issue isn't 
for them about choice. Like they've already made the choice. Now it's a question of access. Where are they going to be able to get access to essential health care in Texas, for example? Um, so yeah, so a lot of the work that um, my co-conspirator Glenn Northern and I of 73 Ford are doing, um, who, you know, longtime friend of Catholics for choice, um, um, is thinking about this exactly. Like, how do we educate and mobilize our own Jewish community to be able to reclaim the narrative in a way that doesn't allow the antis to, like, hold a moral high ground? Mm-hmm. So um, before we, we sort of move on, I, I did want to get your take on the, the news that we got this week. Um, Supreme Court Justice Breyer is announcement, announcing he's retiring. Um, what do you think that this is going to mean for the court and particularly around the, the decision around Roe v. Wade? Um, Shira, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, the courts, I, I will say just it's a reminder that courts matter and we have to just really, you know, if we have a... If, if there's a long game to be had, it's around our federal courts and to just keep front and center that we want um, Biden to, you know, swiftly nominate someone and get um, someone, you know, who is going to, um, yeah, to be out there. Nah, yeah, we want a nominee who will be fair and just. Jamie, what about for you? What do you think this moment is going to mean for this issue? Well, as Catholics, you know, I, I, I like to remind people that six of nine justices are Catholic mm. uh, and, and a seventh one of them was raised Catholic. Uh, and um, of those seven, six of them are very, very conservative and not a reflection of the, land, the Catholic landscape in this country, which is by and large rather progressive. Mm. Uh, and so for us, um, we are encouraging President Biden to pick a nominee who is more reflective of the, better reflects the diversity of this country, shall we mm. say. Mm. Uh, and we are absolutely holding Biden to his promise to, um, to nominate a black woman to the court. We find that absolutely, we are absolutely going to push hard to make sure that he honors that promise. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this morning we're talking with Jamie Manson, president of Catholics for Choice, and Shira Zemmel, 73 Forward campaign co-director at the National Council of Jewish Women. Now, as we do every episode in the second half of our program, it's time to turn over the mics to my dear guests to ask each other some questions of their own. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in a spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. And now, back to Jamie and Shira. I, I have a few questions for you, but I'm curious what lesson, Jamie, you would tell Jamie 15 years ago about doing this work. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a way of asking, yeah. Well, that's a good question because I've been reflecting on that a lot this past week um, because it's the first time in a long time that I feel lonely in the work Um, and not lonely because my staff is wonderful at Catholics for Choice. They're so excited. They're so energized about what we did last week. Um, But going back to what I was saying earlier about the silence from people who I thought were our co-conspirators in the Catholic world. 
um, and who I thought I would definitely hear from and, and would get, you know, a, even privately a, a words of support from that I didn't. It's been largely silent uh, from the people who I thought I was in community with uh, in this struggle against um, harmful church teachings. And so that's been hard. And, and I've been trying to remember back when I came out in 2008 that that was lonely, too. And, and I've forgotten that because we have made that progress on LGBTQ issues in the church. Of course, we have a long, long way to go. And, you know, it's still not OK to be gay. And we, you know, we cannot get married in our church. Um, we were told last year by the Pope, God cannot bless sin. So but to, to have the issue even spoken about and to have priests and nuns come out and be unafraid about their support for LGBTQ people, uh, is something that did not happen 14 years ago. And so um, I'm trying to remember that, like, okay, remember that loneliness, remember that it's okay, remember it's a sign, you know, that you are pursuing a prophetic path and that that is always going to be a, a lonely road. And mm -hmm. so um, I've been trying to hold that in my heart and, and also hold out the hope that maybe I'll see progress in 14 years on abortion and, and in the Catholic church. Love that. Yeah, thank you. I have another one. Okay, sure, go for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to let you guys go at it. So, so, Great. so, feel free. Great. Go back and forth, pinball if you want to. Um, what do you love about this work? Oh my, um, what do I love? I, I guess that's turning. No, that's that's a good. That's something I should reflect on right now. Thank you for that question because <laughs> it's been a tough week. Um. You know, I love being able to be that voice um, that that other other people are afraid to be. And even though it can be um, a, a lonely road, as I said, I love being able to do that. I love that, you know, I kind of burned all my bridges <laughs> in the Catholic world because I've always gone going to the next level. It's women's ordination, then it's LGBTQ, now it's abortion. And I love that, um, you know, we're able to do that. I love that, you know, we get the support from other faith-based organizations that are with us and repro organizations that are with us. Um, I love our staff. Um, they're mostly Gen Z and millennial, and they're just so energized and so smart. Um, and um, I do love being a leader of an organization, which as a lesbian Catholic, I was never thought I'd be able to do in a Catholic space um, as both a woman and a lesbian. Um, and I love that I have that opportunity to lead a Catholic organization, which otherwise I would never have been able to do um, and use those skills, that whole skill set. Um, and one of the things I'm trying to do with, with Catholics for Choice is model a truly just nonprofit. You know, I think that, you know, because there, there's there's been so much trouble in, in nonprofit spaces and in reproductive rights organizations of, um, you know, the 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 values that they claim externally are not always at play internally. And so it's been such a joy to and it's been hard. You know, it's not easy all the time to, but to create an organization that can say the reflect the 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 values they demand of the world, they also demand internally of themselves. So values of transparency uh, and mutual admiration and respect and, and, and justice. Um, that's been really exciting, uh, an exciting part of the work too. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm curious what you love about the work. I love, well, 
since, so I started at NCW in November and I have loved, loved starting to build relationships with NCW leaders in the field and getting to know these mostly women who um, have been doing this work for decades and just like hearing their stories of, um, yeah, what the work looked like decades ago and how that's informing how we approach it now. And so I've been loving that. I love, I love, you know, connecting my Jewish self with the, with the world around me. And I love trying to help people. You know, I think, I think for a lot of people or a lot of Jewish people, there's like a correlation in their like deeply held progressive values and their Jewish identity. Um, but I want to make it like, I want to help those people like tie it together. These are like your deeply held progressive values are also, um, you know, you can like connect to your, to your ancient Jewish past um, and find meaning in life and tr- and find meaning in our tradition, which sometimes feels archaic or removed or whatever, and just have it inform our modern understanding of the world. So I love, you know, having a chance to try to do that. And yeah, I love my colleagues. I love the people I get to work with every yeah. day. Um, I love like, I was following along on Twitter when you all did your action last week. And I love like just seeing like the brilliant thing you all are doing and folks are doing and thinking like, how can we do an action and like, what, you know, what can we learn from this and like just yeah. the strategy of all of it. So yeah. 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 You know, on strategy, I wanted to ask you about 73 forward. Um, one of, I think one of your goals was to get mifepristone, the medication abortion, you know, get, get all of these, on these burdensome requirements that were attached to it. Um, for example, you had to, in order to take the pill, you had to be monitored, a doctor had to be present, you had to take it, you know, and, and finally the FDA got rid of those requirements, uh, exactly. right before Christmas, um, Christmas for me, I apologize. References. <laughs> no, I, I anyway, <laughs> Christian references right before the, the, the end, late December. Um, what now, cause we're thinking about, you know, if Roe falls, how are we going to pivot? Do we have to get, do we get more into access? Um, and I'm wondering what you're thinking now that, you know, you've, you've, you, that hurdle has been, you know, gotten, gotten over. What are you thinking in terms of how you're going to continue? Yeah. The medication abortion and self-managed abortion has been so fascinating to learn more about and start to really get deep with. I, I think the next phase of this is is in the access piece is raising awareness and doing education mm-hmm. there is you know it it is it the fda did did just lift some restrictions as you mentioned um and there's more work to be done there um which there are amazing organizations that are doing and but we need like the public to know that this is an option that up until yeah. 10 weeks of pregnancy that this is an option um and so I think there's a lot of um, awareness work that can be done. Um, I was just on a call where you know was learning about you know how is how is this um, helping um, those most impacted? It needs to be studied more. Like how 
but and in order for it to really help those most impacted, they need to know about it, that it's an option. I keep saying the same thing. So yeah, yeah. Um, we're thinking about like, how can we help raise awareness? Is there ways that we can, you know, get these this to college students of, you know, all in all types of universities or yeah. colleges? Um, how can we like help young people know or all people know that this is a totally valid medical option for them? Yeah. Yeah, the impact piece is so important. Um, And because, you know, I get the question all the time, well, how can you be Catholic and support abortion rights? Well, a lot of it is because Catholicism has a very, very rich, I think, in some ways, unparalleled tradition of social justice values. Um, And it's these beautiful doctrines, you know, in which we're supposed to prioritize the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. Um, you know, you know, was, uh, work for people's liberation and and their and and their dignity. And so, you know, blocking abortion access makes the poor poorer, the sick sicker, people who are already in states of profound powerlessness, like domestic violence uh, relationships, even more uh, vulnerable and powerless. Um, and there is nothing more undignified than forcing someone to give birth. You know, and there's and you take away their fundamental freedoms. Um, and so that's such an important piece for us too. you know, is looking at the human toll, um, and, and getting those stories out, you know, abortion stories out, uh, for Catholics to really, to really see, you know, that this is what we, this is what the LGBTQ movement is. We started to tell our stories and that's what started to transform hearts and minds. And so that's what we want to do too. Um, and I think as we're doing that, thinking also about how do we help with access because because as a, as, as a moral imperative um, and a duty of care to the most vulnerable and the marginalized, what do we now have to do? So it's been a great model for us to watch. I'm so glad. Yeah. I, I, um, I just, I just shared my own repro story um, this week actually as part of like how I wanted to honor repro Shabbat and yeah. um, wrote a blog on Lilith magazine. And, you know, I share about, about I've, I have two children. I've had four pregnancies. Um, and you know, the, my first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. Um, my second pregnancy, I had my son, my third ended in a miscarriage, which was a very rare molar pregnancy. And then my fourth ended with my daughter and I will never get pregnant again. And the, the TLDR, um, the, the, the thesis is like, I experienced the burden of pregnancy and I wanted to be pregnant each of those times. It was my, and I, and pregnant, and I, every week I was pregnant all four times was a burden personally, professionally. It was incredibly challenging. And there are so many reasons I do this work, but, um, having experienced pregnancy myself, I realized like, how dare we suggest or, or force anyone to be pregnant Mm-hmm. And, and how dare we, you know, suggest that, um, yeah, that it's not a burden, um, yeah. or that it's less of a burden maybe because of safe haven laws, as we heard justice Barrett talk about, um, during the Dobbs argument, it's just absurd. So yeah, yeah I think it felt very, um, it felt really good just like to share my story. Yes. Um, I was, um, I remember when Meghan Markle shared about miscarrying and um, Chrissy Teigen did. And I was like, this is a few years ago. And I was like inspired, like, yeah, we have to normalize this. Like, 
you know, we should be talking about this and yeah, people should be sharing. I, I want, if, if, if our work can do anything is to help people bring these stories out into the mm-hmm. light and let people just share. Cause if we don't talk about it, then it's, and we don't, mm-hmm. then it's really easy for someone to stand out there with a sign and say, women's equality and begins in the womb and they don't know anything about being pregnant. They've never, yeah. they don't have, right. and, and it's absurd. Like yeah. how you've nothing. I'll stop. Yeah. No, you're right. Cause not, I, I'm always struck on, on Twitter and what all these other platforms, 99% of the time, the people arguing with me against abortion are white men. And I'm just like, Oh my, and I'm sure they don't have girlfriends, um, you know, because uh, they just have a lot of time on their hands. But you know, it's it's it, it's crazy making, and and I agree, and I so appreciated your piece in the Lilith, um, and we're starting to see like this movie, The Lost Daughter, that just came out. You know, is about you know the the honesty about the burdens of motherhood, and and most of the women I know. Uh, who are pro-choice got more pro-choice when they got pregnant and said, you know, no one should be forced to do this. And pregnancy is dangerous, far more dangerous than abortion is. You know, I had a friend mm-hmm. die in childbirth last month, you know, who had the best team in, in, in Manhattan. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's very, very serious. And, and I agree. Um, I, I did something I've never uh, gotten pregnant, but I did get a hysterectomy. Um, it'll be I two years yours. in June. Yeah. And I told this story and very luckily, very blessed to say, it got published in the New York, New York Times, Times as a as a guest mm. guest uh, opinion. What do they call it now? Guest guest column? I don't know what they call it. guest essay. Um and so formally op-ed. And um, you know, I, I was so struck. I, I was having a bit endometriosis and just bleeding. I was I was anemic, I was I was incapacitated, you know, by my menstrual cycle. And luckily, you know, I had some testing and it didn't show endometriosis, but I had a, a, a doctor who said, I will do a hysterectomy on you because it's the only way for me to take away the suffering mm-hmm. and, and bless him for doing it. And I was so struck that me, who had been lived as a thorn in the side of the church for, you know, a dozen years at that point, suddenly got guilty. Um, because, uh, in, in, in Catholicism, the uterus, uh, Pope John Paul II referred to it as the, the feminine genius, that this was our great gift and that every woman has an essential vocation to be a mother. And I was so mm. stunned that that ideology was really working on me. Someone who, you know, lives to like annoy the hierarchy, <laughs> you know, and, and someone who knows this theology backwards and forwards has been critiquing that theology for, for the better part of 12 years, you know, in the public square. And it was working on me so deeply, you know, that I was throwing away God's gift. And, and, and I think that, you know, we have to have more people sharing stories like that uh, hmm. because there is so much silence and stigma. Um, and, 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 and the, and the power of forced motherhood or motherhood being the fulfillment of a woman's life and, and her most essential role, you know, we have to start breaking, breaking that narrative because it yeah. is so I pervasive mean, especially and powerful. Because, well, there's lots of ways to become a parent and it doesn't have yes. to, if you know, there's people who can't become pregnant or have mm-hmm. to, right. Have to have a hysterectomy right. and yeah, we can't. Yes. Yeah. That that Catholic guilt cuts deep. I can see. <laughs> That's truly, a, truly. It gets in there. 
gets it in does there. it yeah. does this is what one of the things Sorry. that links jews and catholics is guilt and <laughs> so, <laughs> well well so speaking speaking of links um uh maybe on a more lighthearted reference to uteruses um tell tell me <laughs> shira one of the things um for repro shabbat is this uterus challah now what what is a uterus challah and what, what is the best recipe to make one? So I just want to be clear that the most important piece of Repro Shabbat is for <laughs> Jewish people to talk about Judaism and its connection with abortion and um, to for have people telling their stories th- that we just spoke about. That is really our goal with Repro Shabbat and creating a Jewish moment um, for reproductive freedom as, par- as we read Parshat Mishpatim. And as a little fun aside, um, we had a thought about having making a uterus-shaped challah as a one way of marking this. And so, yeah, my dear friend and former colleague Logan um, in Chicago, I was like, who is like a badass feminist, Jewish feminist I know, who's like also an amazing challah baker? Because as I said, the challah baking really has taken off during the pandemic. Um, so she wrote this brilliant, funny blog recipe um, and with a tutorial. And yeah. And so um, <laughs> we'll make I'm, it, we'll put a link to it. I'm, in, yeah. <laughs> I'm making mine. Um, I reached out to Hala influencers on Instagram. There are <laughs> seeing if some of they, some people will. And yeah. So it's like a, a little, it's a fun, small piece. That would be a coup if you could get Hala influencers to to highlight the uterus Hala this this I, weekend. I that mean, would be amazing. Hala Prince, seventy two thousand followers. You should. I, it's it's yeah. There, there's an army there. That, that's great. That's it. There's every niche is on social media. Well, to you know, to paraphrase another feminist icon, um, you know, I don't want to be part of your revolution if I can't bake a uterus Hala, right? So. <laughs> Um, this has been, this has been so great before we go. I, I really want to hear from the both of you, you know, the two of you are, this is your, your, your work, your vocation. Um, what can everyday people do, whether they're part of a, uh, a particular religious group or tradition or not, um, the best way to, to spend our time to, to advocate for reproductive rights and justice. I want people to start saying the word abortion more. Um, everyday people, I'm, you know, I wish you should, I, everyday people should call their senators to to pass the women's health protection act. Um, but I don't, you know, maybe everyday people aren't always going to pick up the phone and do that, but everyday people can say the word abortion and, and, and that small thing of just saying the word abortion, not just saying pro-choice or reproductive, whatever, say the word abortion. That's how we start to, that's how language matters and culture can change um over time by normalizing it by making it a part of our everyday vocabulary is a that everyday people can do i want to hear what jamie says but if like one thing you can do is just say the word abortion yeah i totally agree with that 100 um we have to do that work of destigmatization um of, of abortion and uh, that's really important. We'd love to hear President Biden, uh, a pro-choice Catholic, say the word abortion. Mm. Um, and I would love, love, love just more people of faith who, who do support abortion access to please speak out. Um, we have to take 
this narrative back from the religious right. Um, they claim moral high, moral high ground that they don't have. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, Jack, about uh, not drinking the Kool-Aid around the word pro-life. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, the, the March for Life two years ago, their, their keynote speaker was President Trump. Now, here's someone with utter disregard for life on so many levels and in so many ways. And to me, that just destroyed whatever moral credibility the March for Life had. And so we have to claim the moral high ground. We have it and we have to claim it. And the voices of people of faith are essential because we need to speak back in the language of faith to the religious right wing. And so that is my hope, uh, is that as things get more and more bleak, people of faith will get louder and bolder and prouder about their support for abortion care. Hmm. Well, thank you both so much for, for your bravery, for your advocacy, for the great work that you do every day with your organizations. Um, I'll, I'll be sure to put links in um, in the show notes to, to both of um, your groups, but uh, folks should check out Catholics for Choice and um, 73 Forward campaign at the National Council of Jewish Women if they want to learn more, um, particularly uh, around uh, Repro Shabbat that's coming up. Thank you so much for having us, Jamie. It was an honor. Um, my first oh, ever radio or anything. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Cher. An honor to be with you too. And thank you, Jack, for inviting us to this yeah, really Jack, important conversation. So awesome. Thank you. It will be the, the, the first of many. This is, uh, as I said to somebody yesterday, it's not a one and done thing. It's definitely... Um, especially as these issues are getting tighter and tighter, you know, in, in the, in the public square, we, we, you know, need to be talking about it more. So thank you for being available. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's interfaith ish. I want to again, thank my guests, Jamie Manson and Shira Zemmel. You can learn about Catholics for Choice at catholicsforchoice.org, where you can find the video of their protest at the Basilica. And you can also learn about the 73 Forward campaign at, appropriately enough, 73forward.org. You'll find a resource guide and other info about their Repro Shabbat. And also be sure to link to that Lilith article about the uterus chala in the show notes. My only question is, how do they get that to be one of the challenges on the next season of British Bake Off? I'm totally here for it. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. If you are listening to this over at TacomaRadio.org, you can also find our archives of past shows or check us out on your podcast aggregator of choice. We're on social media at InterfaithIsh, so keep writing us about the InterfaithIsh you wish to dish at InterfaithIsh at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. InterfaithIsh will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org. <laughs>